Well, Merry Christmas. You ready or are you just getting started, right? Well, you can say it all month long. And then you can say it until January 11th because that's when Yuletide is. The celebration of when the wise men came. Two years later. <laughs> so. Oh, Epiphany. Sorry. Yeah, not Yuletide. Too many words at Christmas time. <laughs> well, I hope and pray you all had a good week. Did you get uh, enough turkey? Did you get, get enough pancakes yesterday? Right? No? No, no pancakes, right, Bryce? <laughs> I got enough. Got enough. <laughs> Zero is enough. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's hard to believe, but one more month and this year is over. I'm like, what? No, man. You know, you get... You know, used to writing 2022 on all your checks and everything. Who writes checks still? Yeah, hey, cool. I'm still writing 2020. Whoa. Well, get ready. It's going to change again. <laughs> you know, it's, it's weird to think about that, right? How the rush of seasons come and, you know, you go into the store and it's like, you know, the end of the world is happening because everyone's trying to find the right gift, right? You know, it's, but it's, it's fun. You know, we can we can always be thankful you know that together with our with our families with our friends we can come together and celebrate the holidays which is always so funny because people are like you can't say Merry Christmas but you say happy holidays I'm like you know what holiday means anybody no it's holy day it's literally it's like spam you know spiced ham it's spam and, and all Holy day, holly, ho holidays. It's the same. See, see, I explained it. That's that's how you got the name, right? Yeah. There's more still, Jay. If you need any more, spam. Sorry, yeah, spam and and holidays too. <laughs> yeah, you know, we can gather together. We can come together as a local church and worship the Lord in song, and in work, uh, and in opening up His Word together. You know, as we looked last week, we we saw what the Lord proclaimed you know the, the lord proclaimed the righteous will live by faith well this week you know especially as we come into the season of of christmas uh, we get to talk about what happens when humanity doesn't go through uh that what what happens when humanity doesn't rest in what the truth of the lord has spoken uh, let's uh, go to the word Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we go to the Word. Father God, we, we thank you for today. We thank you that Emmanuel has come. That rescue has come. That the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Though the law and the prophets attest to it and proclaim the promise of the one to come to save us, to seek and to save us. And that we can just rest in the finished work of Christ. That's what Christmas is all about. That your son Jesus came to save sinners. Be with us in this time as we, as we study your word. And thank you so much for this uh, small little book of Habakkuk. It's just so filled with truth that we need to hear. That the 
righteous shall live by faith and no other ways are towards death. We thank you for life and the sun. We thank you for everything that you have given us, Lord. We just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now I was getting all excited, you know, putting out the you know, the bulletins and everything. And I was like, you know, this is a, a really good start of the Christmas season because this sermon is titled The Death of Humanity. I'm like, oh, it's a good, a good subject to start with. Why do we need rescue? It's a good, it's a good question. Well, because all of our ways are towards death. So we need someone to come for us. Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to Habakkuk chapter 2. I thought it was fitting. <laughs> right, we will start in chapter 2, uh, verse 6. <clears throat> and the prophet of the Lord writes this. Shall not all of these take up their taunts against him? with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not all your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoil for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remainment of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. So as we've seen through Habakkuk, he's asked these questions. What about Babylon? What about this menace coming, Lord? On time and time again, the Lord is reminding Habakkuk he will deal with the Babylonians in his time. Right? We don't want it that way. We saw that last week. Habakkuk doesn't want what is happening, or sorry, two weeks ago, to happen. But God's saying he will deal with what is happening as well. See, these men, or this man that has gathered the nations uh, from chapter 1, verses 14 through 17, we see that you know he drags them all together and brings them all together. See, these nations will actually rise against him. Here we see the Lord knows the future. He knows that great Babylon will fall and fail. The nations that were gathered by them will mock them. And even those that are gathered by Babylon and pledged to them, their debtors will actually arise against them and make the conqueror tremble in fear. Those who have taken what is not theirs will now be spoils for others. Now this reminded me of what Jesus says. <clears throat> for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And they have lived by the sword, by the raising of the empire, by the building of their own kingdom. And therefore they will die by the sword. They will be conquered by another rising empire and another kingdom that builds itself the Babylonians will reap what they have sown. Uh, the Lord states this, another woe, starting in verse 9. 
of Habakkuk 2. Woe to him who gets evil gain from his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. So the Lord will, will judge. The Lord will deal with the wicked because he opposes the proud. And that's James 4, 6. The Lord warns those that have set themselves on the high life with the high living. He warns those who scheme and plan their way to the top, telling them, in fact, that they have forfeited their lives. As a proverb states, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. See, the Lord tells Babylon that even the tools that they have used to build themselves up, wood and stone, will stand against them as a witness. The Lord goes on in verse 12 of Habakkuk 2. He says, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. See, the Lord stands against all of these actions and tells us, May distress and misery come to those who do such things for those People are building wrongly, and they need to know this. The Lord is against them. For those things, they go back and forth throughout the whole world. <clears throat> and they weary themselves for nothing. For the king will come with his kingdom. Right? The king, capital K. And the kingdom, capital K, will come. And the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord Almighty. It's a beautiful passage. It depends on what side of history you're on, right? It's scary and it's beautiful. The Lord says this starting in verse 15 of Habakkuk 2. Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink, neighbors drink, who pours out your wrath and makes them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to the cities, and all who dwell in them. See, the unrighteous, the wicked, the evil ones, those who take pleasure in their sin, will get their due. They will not receive the glory they seek. Instead, they will receive shame. Uh, please turn in your Bibles with me to Jeremiah.
Jeremiah 51. It's been fun going along with Habakkuk and then referencing Jeremiah, his contemporary, about what he says about these similar areas in life. Uh, but And in prophecy. Uh, but Jeremiah 51, uh, verses 7 through 10. Uh, the prophet of the Lord writes this. Babylon was the golden cup in the Lord's hand making all the earth drunken. The nations drank of her wine, and therefore the nations went mad. Suddenly Babylon has fallen and been broken. Wail for her, take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she was not healed. Forsake her, and let us go to each his own country, for her judgment has reached up to the heaven and has been lifted up even to the skies. The Lord has brought about our vindiction. Come, let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. See, this nation shows the folly of humanity. The death of humanity is at its own hands, by its own choices, and Babylon the Great will fall, or has fallen. And, you know, the, this is future tense for Habakkuk, but past tense for us, right? So it's like, what word do you use right there? But has fallen. And showing us, showing the nations that they have trusted in the wrong things, that they have sought out glory for themselves and found only death and chaos. This part of Habakkuk ends with, this statement starting in verse 18 of chapter 2. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? God asks amazing questions, right? <laughs> a metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in its own in his own creation when he makes speechless idols woe to him who says to a wooden thing awake to a silent stone arise can this teach behold it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath in it at all oh sorry no breath at all in it but the lord is in his holy temple let all the earth keep silent before him don't you just love the contrast there? The Lord is the living God. All these other things are, are dead. They're of no use. Those things we trust in that we have formed, what profit is it? Believing a lie doesn't make it true. And nothing can take the place of the Lord in his holy temple. But our, our hearts are our idol factories, right? We, we shape things. Maybe, maybe not metal things, but we can certainly shape lies. Maybe not so many wooden things, but we shape movements and peoples and created things to take the place of our Lord. See, Paul tells us in, in Romans... 
for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That, that even, even taking the truth and smashing it down and saying, no, it's, it's not right, is actually you know, the same akin to idolatry. And it's, it's why the wrath is here. It's a suppressing of truth. And even if we don't have adornments of idols at home, you know, in front of the TV, that's kind of like where the idol would be, you know, in the home. So, so don't idolize that either, right? <laughs> but judgment comes to all. For we have believed the lie and, and knowingly suppressed the truth. I think this is a good start for for Christmas, right? Because humanity is stuck. You know, by itself, no way out. Yet, yet people everywhere say we can overcome. We can and we will. And in fact, we have to find a way out of our state. I just read in a book a couple days ago that 91% of people believe in this statement that I should have brought the book with me. Uh, that the the answers to all of our problems are within us. And I'm like, 91% of Americans believe with that statement? Like, agree with that statement? That we can figure it out by ourselves? Like, at least there's another 9% that say no. <laughs> like, no, we need someone else. No, but... Idols of our day rage, right? From environmental extremism to even population control to even this awesome one that I found, Burger King's ad, you are the king, right? It's just an ad, but it totally embodies so much of our culture. There is only one problem with being our own king and master that if we're stuck and death is real, then one day it will end. And then comes another part. It's called escapism. We hide death away. We endlessly plug ourselves into other realities, be that social media, video games, and the like. We can place anything in the place of God, and that is an idol. We try to make it our Savior, though it could never take his place. But the problem with any of the other worldviews is that we are stuck. And death is real and eternity is a reality. Well, Christianity deals with our state, answers it very clearly. Paul states it like this in Romans, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul knew it to be true. He was, he was stuck he, he knew what was right, but he couldn't do what was right. But Paul knew who could deliver him from his own death and proclaims it to all of humanity. He says this next. Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is... 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the answer for our fallen, stuck state. He alone can deal with and deliver us from sin and death. If we rest in Jesus the Messiah, that means you know, to be in Christ. In him we are, we are new creations. We're hidden in him. We're covered by the blood of the lamb and washed and given new garments. The Apostle John states it like this in his first book. And yeah, his first letter. He is the propitiation, right? The covering for our sins and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, Jesus alone covers our sins. He covers the whole world's transgressions. He takes the wrath of God, the judgment and justice of God was poured out upon the Son of God. But then the world looks at that truth and says, that's not fair, right? That's saying everyone else is wrong if that's the only way but this is the truth. And there is truth and there are lies. Now please turn in your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 5. First <coughs> John chapter 5. Uh, let's start in verse 12. The Apostle John writes this. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this, and this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask we know that we will have the requests that we have asked of him if anyone sees his brother committing sin not leading to death he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sin that do not lead to death there is sin that does sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. I did, yeah, I did not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come. And has given us understanding. So that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. And his Son, Christ Jesus. He is the true God and eternal life. And I love after all of that truth of who we are in Christ, 
He still tells the church to do this. Little children, keep yourself from idols. There is life in Christ alone. And John the Apostle writes to proclaim the life made manifest. That's what his whole first letter is about. In order that the whole world may know that it can have eternal life in Christ alone through faith alone. And in resting in him we can have confidence that he has overcome the world. And that we can cast our cares upon him who cares for us. And that we know that we have a great high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. And we can come to him in our need and receive mercy and grace. And that we can confess our sin and that he will cleanse us. And this truth too, that we don't have to be stuck in our sin, but we can fight against it. You know, we see the whole world differently and we know that everyone around us that is not in Christ is a POW, a prisoner of war, as they have been held captive to the evil one. So we can live in that understanding that Christ has given us and we can stand in the truth and trust in the true one. And in this we can fight not only against the idols of the world, but also the idols in our heart as well. Uh, please turn in your Bibles with me one more time to Daniel chapter 5. And sometimes it's like, you know, you, you hear all these questions from Habakkuk and what the Lord proclaims. And I'm like, hey, we can, we can just go read what happens to him, right? You know, isn't that cool? We have the whole of it. We can, we can see what did God do to the Babylonians? How did it end for him? As Paul Harvey said, now you know the rest of the story. Well, now we can, we can actually look at it. Any Paul Harvey fans out there? I love that. He said, whoa, man, a lot. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> uh, that's a good illustration. I can, I can keep that one around. But um, Daniel chapter 5. <clears throat> Here we see the fall of Babylon. In the first part of the chapter, we see this grand party. Babylon is you know, drinking wine, and they're actually drinking from the vessels of gold and silver from the temple of Jerusalem. They had actually been taken by Nebuchadnezzar from the house of God. Uh, they drank wine, and they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So they're using the Lord's vessels that are created, well, made all the way back in the book of Exodus to praise other false gods and as they were doing this the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the wall the king saw it and was alarmed he was actually terrified and the king called for all the wise men in the kingdom I love how that keeps on happening in daniel and no one has an answer right no one can can tell him what's going on here with nebuchadnezzar's dream to balthazar dealing with this hand writing on the wall no one could interpret it. This, this troubled the king even more. But then the queen tells the king of a man with wisdom and knowledge and understanding. So the king calls Daniel. 
Daniel is brought before the king. And down in verse 22 and 23, it states this. And you, his son, that's speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Balthazar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. Right? He, he grew up with his dad. He saw all the stories that happened to Nebuchadnezzar, all the events. And you have not humbled your heart, you, though you knew all of this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drank wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and of gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which you do not see or hear or know. But the Lord who is in whose hands is your breath, sorry, but the Lord in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. You know, it's what the Lord says in Habakkuk. Pride is what destroys. And Nebuchadnezzar learned that, right? He, he got turned into a madman and ate grass for a, a while, and then he finally got it. It took him a little bit. But his son didn't get it. And in all of his pride, he lifts himself up against the Lord of heaven. See, Daniel gives the king the interpretation that the days of the kingdom are numbered by God. And they have been brought to an end and that justice has been found wanting. And that the Medes and the Persians, another kingdom, has now taken his place. In verses 29 through 31, the, the chapter ends like this. And then Belshazzar, bleh, it's always a fun one, right? He's like the fourth wise man, right? <laughs> gave the command. And Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck. And a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. The king gave all of these gifts to Daniel, but the question is, did he even listen? Right? There's no repentance in this event. The, the, the queen, who is most likely his mom, told him all about, tried to remind his, her son, and there's no repentance in this event. The king goes on with his party. And that very night he was dead. And the great city of Babylon fell to the Medes and Persians. And we see through the history that is in the Bible that we worship a God who holds all of history in his hands. And he calls up nations and he judges nations and he brings justice. Isaiah states it like this. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The Lord alone is sovereign. He alone is the Almighty. 
You know, we can, we can you know, make our words accomplish things, but not all the time, right? That is why you know, we're told to let our no's be no and let our yeses be yes, right? You know, the Lord knows we are dust, but do we? Do we know that we have limits? That our, our words don't do what God's words do, right? His words succeed in all things. Our words can fall flat. It's a crazy cool thing because the Bible tells us these things to warn us. To show us dangers. And pride and words have a lot of verses throughout the Bible for for great reason. That we would know the dangers, that we would not seek chaos and death, but Christ and life. And Paul states this in 1 Corinthians. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Usually we, we kind of break apart these two parts, but this is amazing in its context. He goes on saying, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. We can look back through all of Scripture and see rebellious hearts, and then we can oh, look at ourselves, hey, I see one of those too, and, and know how to deal with it. It's not common. It's not uncommon, right? It's common to man. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. And that way of escape is usually called obedience, prayer, repentance, discipleship, and discernment of what to walk away from, right? That you may be able to endure it. You know, pray a prayer, phone a friend, get out of the situation. That we would know all of these events and learn from them. That we wouldn't stand in pride and fall, but that we would run from idols and temptation. And knowing this, the one that holds history in his hands has delivered on his promises. And he is trustworthy, and he is true, and he offers us life and a way out through his son, Christ Jesus our Lord. Now let's uh, close with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you that you have come for sinners. And that, that even as we're, we're dealing with rebellion in our own selves, taking off the old man and putting on new creation, as Colossians calls us to, as, as Corinthians states that we, we know all of these things. We, we, we've seen all these failings and fumbles so that we can be instructed not to go that way. That we can see that 
that Babylon was raised up to be smashed. That it is the, the golden head of history of all the kingdoms. And yet it shows the folly of humanity in its own paths. Help us seek to walk in your path by the lamp of your word. Help us to each day richly dwell in that that we may go forth and, and shine in our good works, that people around us may glorify you, our Father in heaven. And Lord, we, we thank you for this day. Thank you that we can gather here and we can sing and we can, we can know that Emmanuel has come. Rescue has come and, and we can trust in you and, and walk with you through all of this life. And know that you want us home to dwell with you forever. And we thank you for that, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.